everyone, I'm Dave Sandell. And I'm Caleb Gardner. And this is the Best Album 4 Podcast, a podcast where we talk about the best album for becoming a Swifty. And Caleb, this week we are joined by my new friend, your very old friend, Sydney Bauer. Sydney, welcome. Sydney. Hey. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. We've had one other guest on the show, but it was when Caleb was on vacation. This is the first time we've mm-hmm. done this with, with three of us. And I'm excited to try something new today. Caleb and I have been talking the last several weeks, it's come up several times, about not really fully understanding Taylor Swift. I think I'm probably a little bit closer to liking Taylor Swift than Caleb was, just based on our conversations on the podcast before. And we had an idea to to ask somebody who we knew who was a huge Taylor Swift fan to come in and help us become Swifties. And so Sydney gave us homework. We have been listening to Taylor Swift pretty nonstop for the last (laughs) several weeks. I have opinions. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm really excited to get into it. But I thought first we could just talk a little bit, Sydney. Tell us about your relationship with Taylor Swift, how you found her, what she means to you. Give us your bona fides Absolutely. for our resident Swifty expert. Yeah, I got to earn my status as a Swifty. I'll say that. There you um, go. I am like roughly five years younger than four or five years younger than Taylor Swift. And so when she came into consciousness, I very much started to grow up with her. So that is the type of Swifty I am, someone who is very much identified as somebody who is like pretty on track with where she was always just a little ahead of me in life of just like, oh, okay, that's what your 20s are. I started liking Taylor Swift when Teardrops on My Guitar came out, which was off of her debut album. So that was like the one of her. Oh, I wow, didn't, yeah. That yeah, cool. I didn't listen. Swifties don't come. I didn't love Tim McGraw. That was not <laughs> the song that got me because I was like, I am a self-professed country music disliker i'll say that i do not like you're in good company thank you You okay great i I hate country music i hate it i hate (laughs) it so much taylor is probably like i like maren morris and then she's like i'm gonna become a pop singer and i'm like fantastic (laughs) like i'm so excited so i have followed in and out of taylor swift i will say there have absolutely been times where i have also hated her and found her really annoying and i have many thoughts on why to bring it up to speed now, it was really, I think I like committed to her of like, I love this woman when she dropped the video for Look What You Made Me Do. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me Reputation was like, you're a god. So <laughs> I was just like in love with her for a while. And the lover, I was like a little iffy on. I have to go through all the arrows, don't you know? I noticed. Can you help us out and give us some dates? Yeah, exactly. Because you're just uh, flying right past me right now. I'm so ready. Okay. 08 is when Fearless came out. She was like 15. No way. She was 15 years old? Oh, God. Yeah, she moved to Nashville when she was 13. I knew she was a teen. Wait, so that made you 11? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So 2008 was when Fearless came out. Then she goes into Speak Now, which I think was 2010. And then from there on it, just every few years, she releases an album. 1989 was released in 2014, I believe. And how old were you and at then that point? 2014, 1989, I was in college. Okay. 1989, I was my junior year in college. And then Reputation came out. I just moved to the city. It was 2017. And then Lover came out in 2019. And then Folklore, 2020, Evermore, is also a 2020 album. And then Midnight's came out 
2022. And that's not counting her re-records. So a lot of her eras and what I would kind of subscribe to and a lot of what I'll probably talk about is how well she encapsulates the experience I had. She wrote the music, released it, and then I had the experiences because of my age with her Yeah, and the way Mm. that music is released. So like I'm in college and I'm a junior. I like absolutely would like to shake it off because everyone sucks and college (laughs) is a hard time. Like it was always like very aligned with my own experiences. So it is like a very it's a very personal experience to her music because she is also so diaristic in her writing. And that's what has made her like the most attractive to me and most engaging to me as a listener is the way that she can absolutely encapsulate a feeling, whether it's in an album or in a song. Caleb, you also track your life based on Taylor Swift's records, right? Um, if I did, I would like to not say what milestones I was at when these <laughs> records came out. I'd go ahead and not date myself like that. <laughs> I would just like to say like such a prolific artist. Like I just my mind is blown when I look at this pace of release of new music. And you're right. This doesn't count the re-records, which is a whole Taylor Swift drama. You have to explain to us at some point, like we don't know what happened and like it wasn't ubiquitous enough for me to actually follow, even though I don't follow Taylor Swift, but I know all the drama anyway. That's what Taylor does to you. But my point is Taylor Swift spent more time in the studio than any artist alive. Like just sheer amount of time recording music. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, she, she I mean, it's Jack Hanson who is saying it, but and but it, it's, everybody has started to echo it more and more. She is just seen as the hardest working. I mean, a lot of people can say that about a lot of artists, but she is known for her work ethic. Absolutely. Like and she's also known for just want there's a. I don't know if you've seen Miss Americana, and I would highly recommend it, the documentary about her. Sure. Yeah, that's okay. That, the show no notes for this is going to have to be yeah. in- intense. Oh, I'm happy to help. But there is a, a line that she says, I just want to work as much as possible while people are still tolerating me being successful. So she just wants to like, like as long as people will listen to me, she just needs to make music. I respect that. Has her career been on a, like a constant incline? Like, has she always been? I understand she probably didn't begin her career as famous as she is now, but has it dipped and ebbed and flowed, or has it always just been each album she's progressively more popular? It's definitely ebbed and flowed, but I would say it's not due to her albums. Like, she she'll always get like a kick in popularity for her albums just because of the nature and size of her like of her fan base, but it has ebbed and flowed because of other things that have happened to her in terms of like her fame. Like there is a full year in time that she disappeared from the public eye because she just didn't think people wanted her there. That was in between 1989 and Reputation. And like you, you do also learn as well that like during her 1989 era, she did struggle with an eating disorder. So there's like a lot that gets tied up within that era as well. And then she like disappears. So and she comes back with reputation and is a lot healthier and happier. Caleb, coming into this podcast, what is your relationship with Taylor Swift? Ah, Dave. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) long-time listeners know your relationship with Taylor Swift already. 
But tell us, give us a peek. I have a, I have a complicated relationship with Taylor Swift. And he, here's the thing. I respect her. I respect the hell out of her as an artist. And I think that you just talked about the drama surrounding her personal life is part of partly why people like me roll my eyes at her because it inevitably gets wrapped up in music. Not just because everyone's reading into the lyrics about what relationship is this about, but because she literally writes about her relationships. Like <laughs> That's true. I think if I had a critique of Taylor Swift's music over the years, it's that I, you again, you gave me a lot of homework and <laughs> 99 songs out of 100 are about relationship drama. You know what I mean? That's part of the reason I think why I found that she is inaccessible to me in a lot of ways is because I don't definitely don't relate to her like you did when you're like coming up with her and she's speaking to your like lived experience as a young woman. Like by the time you were shaking it off in college. I was like, I had two kids. Like I was just a different, very different era. I don't have time to shake it off. <laughs> That's <sorry>. right. <laughs> I'm shaking off food and diapers. I don't know. But like my point is there was, it's not just that like I don't, I didn't relate to the lyrics that way. It's that there, so there's this, this woman, Elizabeth Brake co coined this term called amatonormativity. Have you heard of this? Basically means how as a society we place romance and romantic relationship as the end-all be-all of life and like anyone who isn't pursuing that as like the number one goal of their life we look at as strange and I feel like Taylor Swift both feeds off of that part of our society and feeds into it it's a kind of like a weird dialectic she has with writing about relationship drama and then people who have relationship drama are like oh my god I relate to this so much and she's like oh people love this so I should write more about relationship drama do you know what I mean and that's the kind of that's the environment where I was like oh, I don't want any part of that does that make sense can I challenge something please about that view do you by chance ever listen to Ed Sheeran no no no. So you... real quick, the alt text for this little <laughs> call that we're on right now is two white guys in their 40s and Sydney. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's yeah. right. So, or... I think it's fair to say that artists that tend to write about that kind of stuff, I don't have as much time or space for. That's what I'm saying is like, I think as a genre... You say that, but... What are you gonna say, Dave? Where are you gonna Where are you gonna call me out where this isn't consistent? Because our not. our shared favorite band is Frightened Rabbit, and their best record is a breakup album where every single song is about mm. him breaking up with the woman, and it's the best. Yeah. And they came to me in a time in my life where I wasn't breaking up with the woman. Yeah, <laughs> and I internalized every single song somehow. So it's possible, <laughs> but I'm not saying I'm not saying that I don't like that music. It's just is it is all of Frightened Rabbit's music about? relationships and relationship no, no, of drama course, though of course not but i would say That's neither is like Taylor i like i want to i want yeah. other things in the mix is all i'm saying and when taylor swift does put over other things in the mix like shake it off yeah. is, is a very prominent example i find that that's probably one of my favorite songs of hers or you know? or blank space or welcome to new york or marjorie well, blank or space or is body, about relationship no crime. Drama, but, anti hero it's about media perception but i mean i could list as many oh yeah Okay, um, yes, tell me, tell me things about Taylor Swift songs. songs I don't see on the surface. Dig in. What, has a, what songs have a deep depth that I haven't seen? Please tell me this. I'm actually very interested. <laughs> I will say, you've picked a little bit of a difficult thing for me because one album that I have told you to listen to is a breakup album. That is what Red is. <laughs> I can't I really that. help you there. <laughs> I got that um, theme. 
<laughs> on folklore, she has, I mean, it's about relationships, but she starts to actually tell different stories. And I like, I don't know how much I like want to like blow your mind about Taylor Swift, especially because of the type of one that I am. But I'll just start to introduce it. I'm a, I am a gayler. I don't know if you have ever heard of that term. But there is a Googling certain... immediately. Yep. Have fun. Do I want to Google this? I don't know. This is a rabbit hole. So it's fine. This is the one like conspiracy theory that I'm like, absolutely. I have a kind of firm belief that Taylor Swift is, is gay. And a lot of her music is actually written about a woman wow. named Carly Kloss. But that could be a whole other episode. Hold so on now. Let's live. I just here. listened to <laughs> I just listened to four podcasts about a thousand boyfriends that she's had. Let me just say this. The day that we're recording this. Yeah, I get this, really mad at that podcast. Yeah. The day that we're recording this. Last night, I logged on to check football scores on ESPN.com. I didn't go on like People Magazine. I didn't go on like E News or I don't even, I'm, I'm dating myself. Whatever the kids are looking for today to get their celebrity gossip. I went on ESFuckingPN.com and the headline was Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey's maybe relationship. Like, what is happening? Yeah, like, I definitely think. She's bisexual. Definitely look at the lover era. It's very interesting what she chose to to care a lot about. There's like just she. Now I'm like feeling like I chose the wrong albums. <laughs> no. I know. Hold on. I was say, now you like, want to deep dive. I can't do three more. Yeah, weeks. I know. Because again, like I wanted to say, like there's a reason I chose Red because she has changed in her career so much. Mm. Yeah. If I give you Evermore. Yeah, I don't think you're gonna understand no, how I'd, special of an album that is. I will say that like the the albums that you chose did show her progression very well, and I, th- I thought that was fascinating to watch how she had like progressed as a songwriter. To me, folklore is the music she's been making the whole time, but it's been overproduced by Jack Antonoff. Like that, mm. and I love Jack Antonoff. I'm here for Bejeweled. I'm here for the Bops. Like I'm here for Martin Shelbeck. We can get to him. I'm here for like Max Martin, but her lyricism has always been what folklore is. Taylor Swift has been a closet member of the National this entire time. All right, so let's jump into, I want to jump into some of these picks. So you gave us essentially four, but three records that you wanted us to spend a lot of time with. I went ahead and and did my, I did all the homework and did all four. And you wanted us to, I, I was a little confused about whether I should be listening to the 40 song versions of these records or the 10 song versions of these records. I went Always for the, the 40, but... I went for the 40 whenever I could, <laughs> and it was a lot of Taylor, an awful lot of Taylor. So I thought maybe we could just go one by one. And by the end of this, Caleb and I will give our picks for the best album for becoming a Swifties. Uh, although, spoiler alert, I don't know if I got all the way there. <laughs> it That's okay. She <laughs> has also... so many other albums. <laughs> She's like, we have so many other ways to catch you. If it's there, not Dave. this one, uh, I will say I just real quick. I I found Taylor Swift in on the 1989 album because my kids really liked dancing to shake it off, uh, and so we did lots of dance parties to shake it off. And so I just listened to the rest of the record, and it's really amazing. It's an amazing pop record, and everything since then I've been like hit or miss on. I appreciate some of it. Some of it I think is a little whatever, but uh, we're going to get through all that today. So let's start with Taylor Swift's Red, which sounded like a country album most of the time. Do you agree with that as somebody who doesn't like country? I think it's a country pop album. And I know that sounds like a real cop out, 
and it totally is. But it is the way that she bridged those two albums that I think makes her so special. And like, like very specifically that in I Knew You Were Trouble, like that dubstep drop. Like, if you could bring yourself back to that moment in, like, 2012 or whatever it was, like, Skrillex was a thing. Do you, like, I remember this very well. Oh, Skrillex. Somewhere Skrillex is listening to his headphones like, what? Come on, man. <laughs> and he probably still is. I don't know. Good for you. Bangerang's cool. But... <laughs> Like, that was, she read her audience so well. She read music so well and paid attention. There's also a thing called tailorking, where she just pays attention to trends among her fans and also very much among music. If you look at her openers for her entirety of her career, all of them have gone on to be major artists. You mean the people who are opening for her concerts? Yeah. Her openers. She spots talent and she spots how music is going to grow. And so she put dubstep on a country. That's pretty. That's that reminds me of Madonna. I've been trying to find the comp here. uh, And it reminds me of Madonna. So tell us about. So you said you hate country music. Were you, but you were into the first three albums. It wasn't, you didn't become a fan during Red. You just really liked the first three albums. So what was it about Red that made it one of your picks for us to listen to today? Honestly, so much of it is the song all too well. Like 10 minute version or not, I can't tell you how special that song is to every single Taylor Swift fan, no matter what you have been through, because it was one that she didn't think anyone would care about. And then she did, I think, definitely fact check me, but she asked on Twitter, what should I play at the Grammys? And overwhelmingly, people asked for All Too Well. And that wasn't a single. It's one of her track fives. So it's meant to be really personal. And usually those are really sad. They're typically the saddest on the album. Wait, that's a thing? Like track five is always like the saddest on the album? Yes. Yeah. From her first album, the first one, It's Cold As You. And when you take, you take the It's always meant to be like the most personal one to her and like the most emotional on the album. So Fearless is White Horse. Back and forth all this time because I honestly believed in you. Speak Now is Dear John, which is searing if you have not spent time with that. Blue sky and go back and turn it to You will never be a John Mayer fan after listening to that song. Done. Um, yeah. Way ahead of you. <laughs> oh, easy. <laughs> Solid. I don't have to go through all of them, but it's on every album. It's Delicate, A Reputation. It's The Archer on Lover. It's My Joe's Ricochet on Folklore. It's, like, it's things that we memorize as Swifties. Like the track fives are... Dear listeners, she has nothing in front of yeah. her. She is just reciting all of this from memory. Thank you. <laughs> Honestly, I'm really happy that you said that. 
alone. Now, give me a percentage of the time Taylor is writing her own songs. Is it like all the time? Like everything? And her lyrics. I'm curious about both of those. So that is a question that John fucking Mayer called her producer and asked. Really? And this is an era that she released Speak Now. And she's the only writer on Speak Now. She writes all of her lyrics. And she knows that she has to. Because that is, I will, I'll say this, and I don't think many Taylor Swift fans would really come for me. She has a beautiful voice, not the best pop voice. She, it's not her, it's not her strong suit. Olivia Rodrigo, Ariana Grande, Beyonce, Adele, any other person can't really stack up. Like she can't really stack up voice wise. So you're saying what is so special about her based on the lyricism, how she writes it is. And she's again, this is something that she knows. She says this in Miss Americana. She says, I would not be here if I did not write my own songs. You can look at the credits. Her name is on every single one. And you're not going to see too many on the others. It's writing is really personal for her. That's good. And a lot of the things that she writes about by has you really do all of Midnight's like would have, could have, should have is like she and and dear John, like she was very go out on a limb. She was not treated nicely by men in her life to the point that it has, I think, harmed her. Yeah. So though it's really personal things that she's writing about. And that's why she tends to be one of the only writers and she doesn't work with very many. Are are you willing, you don't have to bury your soul here, Sydney, but are you willing to talk about what specifically was in those songs, like All Too Well? Oh, yeah. That like spoke to you? Where were you in your life that this hit you so deeply? Oh, it about to get into a relationship that would end up being an abusive one for three and a half years. Pew. (laughs) Everything's totally fine. But like, really, that is the gift that Taylor Swift is for people of my generation is somebody who held your hand while you were growing up. Like, I could see that. She just was there. Yeah. There's a the line that always stands out. And this is like everybody is like dancing in the kitchen in the refrigerator light Mm. there. I've done that with a with that guy that I did that. We were eating Portillo's chopped salad for leftovers. It was midnight. She just somehow is able to write lyrics that are so specific of her own life, but makes it so easy for her listeners to place them in those situations. Like it might not be a red scarf. It could be blue or it might not be a scarf. It's for me, it's an orange hoodie. Like there's that piece of clothing that sticks around a relationship. She has just chosen to anonymously open a window to her life to share such a gift, which is just, this is everything in my heart. I hope you feel the same. And all of us get to feel the same and not feel alone. I do think you're getting at why people love her so much, why she is like so beloved by her fans. She also does a lot of fan service and a lot of fan like surprise and delights and just a lot of my understanding is that she's very very responsive and warm to her fans in very like even just small and specific ways like one-on-one with people i want to call just going back to all too well the song that took 10 minutes of my life i will say that there are some lyrical bombs in here 
And I want to say that this is what I really came to appreciate about Taylor over three albums is that every once in a while, the lyric just catches you and you're like, oh, damn, that was good. I remember when the first time I heard and you call me up again just to break me like a promise. I was like, oh, damn. So casually cruel in the name of being honest. Oh, my God. Call me up again just to So I guess a question I have is, and I'm going to say this question the way I wrote it down. I promise you I didn't mean this pejoratively. Have you met people? This is such a terrible question. I'm a terrible person. What's about to happen right now is all of Taylor Swift's <laughs> fandom is going to press stop on the podcast. The people who are obsessed with her and who are over the age of 18. <laughs> My question was, Are have you met people who are obsessed with her over 18 and well-adjusted? Am I? I think what I'm trying to get at with this question is like people seem obsessed with her. And I got to say, you going into why this music touched you just now, I, it like pushed me towards, okay, I think I need to revisit this because I think that I was hearing it with the wrong ears the entire time because something got me in my heart. And longtime listeners will know that's, that's my personality or you start talking about abusive <laughs> relationship. I'm like, okay, tell me everything. I'm now, I now want to talk about that for an hour. Don't really want to talk about Taylor Swift. But I, I guess my question is, the people who are willing to spend thousands of dollars on her concert tickets and, and devote so much of their lives to, I, I was reading about like the 1989 reveal and how people had parsed that out through different math on Reddit or something like that. Are, are these people just like normal everyday people or are they like super overly obsessed with Taylor Swift fans and then like normal people who like her well enough? I mean, I very much say that there's like a mix of both like you're gonna find a spectrum are there unhealthy unhealthily obsessed taylor swift fans absolutely a plethora absolutely i don't know if that may yes but i think that parasocial relationships themselves are very complicated and i think what taylor swift gives a lot of those people is a piece of themselves that needed to be reflected back in their own in society there is such a culture yeah, I feel that. like about her because she has a culture. It's weird as it is. She is a human being that has been able to cultivate an expected kind of community. We know like do, like this, right? This right here was given to me by a fan because she saw my shirt when I was at the Eras tour. Sydney is holding up one of the infamous friendship bracelets. And that's just one. Like people bring... Hundreds, and just because she mentioned it once in a song, and I think it's because she gives us such a gift where there's no expectations with being a Taylor Swift fan. There's no expectations with your music. She just wants you to relate, feel your feelings, and go on with your life and enjoy like really beautiful art. And she just exists just for joy. It's like it's something that I really tried to come across. If you really listen to what she talks about and what she stands for, she's not someone who's ever going to yuck someone's yum. She has talked extensively. If you're the type of person that puts down things because you think they're cringe, like that's the worst type of person. If you enjoy something, let somebody enjoy it. And mm. yeah, sometimes people are like, they go too far and they like become stalkers of Taylor Swift. That's not cool. That's against the law. But yeah, just in case you didn't. PSRs. But I think that she is just such a gift to people. The purity with which you are talking about her right now and the personality, like the 
the personal nature of the relationship that you have with her and that you talk about other people having with her is fascinating to me, especially when you say things like, she's not asking anything of you except to buy $500 concert tickets. Okay. I mean, that's yes. it. Which <laughs> Just that one thing. I mean, <laughs> we can talk about who she has been over her career and then we can also talk about how the touring industry is like very yeah, it's not great. messed up. And I can almost guarantee sure. you that she sure. is never going to sell tickets with Ticketmaster oh, that ever was, again. Yeah, that wasn't good. Yeah. I, de- I definitely don't fault her for that. Ticketmaster is terrible. As great as a musician, she is also a very shrewd businesswoman. Yeah, and that is something that for sure. isn't necessarily in her music, but it sure does surround it. I think that goes back to her being really hard- hardworking, yeah. which com- definitely comes across. Can we go back to the, the mu- musicianship around Red? Because I, I was very struck by... It wasn't just that this was a country pop album. It was that it was a pop album stuck inside a country album. Like, it just felt like... I, I got like whiplash going back and forth between songs where I was like, oh, this is country Taylor. OK, I know what I'm getting into. And then I'd get to like 22 and I was like, wait, what is this is this is on this album? Like like 22. I knew you were trouble. Like some of these I was just like, oh, yeah. this is on this album. This is such a pop song. Was there whiplash for her fans? I just think we were ready to love like anything she did. And because also it's like a double bind because that's one of the biggest critiques, musical critiques that people have of that album. It's what she attributes her losing record of the year to is the fact that it's it is all over the place, which is why then you have 1989, which is like a perfect, like not perfect, but very cohesive, sonically sound and consistent pop album. So she was definitely struggling there. But also on the other side, I think she was partially being very authentic to herself and her experience because it was up and down. Like one day as like a teenage girl, you are all too well crying on the bathroom floor. And then the next day you're out feeling 22 with your friends like that is that was so the experience. So I think in what in some ways more towards her fans, it counts of like. Yeah, life is all over the place, but it counts against outside listeners of like, I, what is this album? (laughs) Like she goes from all too well, I'm quite certain right into 22. And that is like break. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So it's a choice. (laughs) Well, maybe by, by way of transition into 1989, when it does become like a more cohesive pop album and a tighter album, I think, to your point. Can you just explain to me what 1989 means? Because I refuse to believe that Taylor Swift was born in the 80s. I think this is a conspiracy theory along the lines of Obama's birth certificate for me, where it's like, there's no way that Taylor Swift was born in the same decade I was. So I had a hard time believing she was 33 because I had her pegged as much, much younger. I don't know what that's based on. I guess I didn't understand. I don't know what that's based on. I don't have a good answer to to why I thought she's much younger. There's a very interesting, there's another podcast actually that I have listened to, into it from Vulture. Uh, and somebody makes a very interesting argument as to why Taylor Swift is really looked at as being young. Like she herself talks about being frozen the age that she became famous. And she became famous at 15, 16, potentially 14 years old when she, I mean, she moved to Nashville at 13. So that's when she really started her career. 
And they make the argument that when you look at other pop stars like Beyonce or Adele, they are mothers. Oh, fascinating. A lot of other pop stars, like even Pink, has children. Katy Perry has children. Taylor Swift is not. And she is also not married, even though so much of our focus is on her dating life. And this is also a part of the reason that I think a lot of the annoyance, and this is checking myself as well, like the era that I found her annoying. I really thought, and looking back on it, it's like, it's just internalized misogyny. Mm. Like, it's wanting to hate it's wanting to hate the pretty girl, the pretty popular girl, and to tear her down. And I think that's also what kind of forced her into her, like, bad blood gang of, like, her hot models of, like, I do have friends. She was also the weird kid that didn't have friends in middle school. So I think she remains to be a really interesting, mm. like, kind of cultural icon in that sense. And it, I think it does mean a lot, yeah. I mean, part of it has to be just that she has a very youthful look, too, right? Like, she just, she has kind of a baby yes. face. Yeah. Not a bad thing. Yeah. She's blonde hair, blue eyes, like the yeah. most youthful look. And yeah. she just started really young. She just, she just yes. has been young. Totally. So, 1989, was that a, was that like a, a banner record for you? Was that, I had, you had mentioned you're not a big country fan. You had embraced Taylor's countryside because you love her lyrics so much. And now she was just fully embracing pop music. So what was it like when you first heard? Well, first of all, where were you in your life in 2014? And then what was it like listening to that for the first time? I was in, I was in college. It was my junior year. Also, this was around the time I started to find her annoying. Ah. So 1989 was not one that I like dove into, I think, so much at the time. What I do remember being so obsessed with and did not find annoying. And I think I just came into it after it was released. But those music videos for all of the singles that she released, I love. She started to collaborate with Joseph Kahn, um, who I think directed most of the videos. I think the four that came out. So it's Wildest Dreams. blank space which is probably that is so if i had to like meet an alien and be like they needed to know who taylor swift is i start with like that's blank space it's the quintessential why is that taylor swift because it shows you everything you need to know about her because it is satire because she was able to take something huh. like being, because she's not actually that person. It's really fun to think that she is, but she's not that person that wants to fill in like her blank space. Oh my God, look at that face. You look like my next mistake. Love's a game, wanna play. But she took the meanest things people were saying and her turn of phrase. That was like, oh my God, darling, I'm a nightmare dressed like a daydream. Are you kidding? That was the Instagram caption for every <laughs> single girl in college for a solid year. Seriously. And I think that's also a really big thing that I like and struggle with it with her music. It is very easily memefied and very easily overplayed. 
because it's pop music. Yeah, speaking of overplayed, I want to just make it very clear that pre Sydney giving us homework, I had never intentionally put on a Taylor Swift song to listen to. And yet, I knew every song on this album. I was like, it was playing and I was like, yep, know this song, next one. Oh, yeah, know this song too. Oh, next one. I'm like, know this song. And I don't just mean I know the songs like I'd heard them. I mean that I knew all the lyrics. I was like, how do I know? That's how ubiquitous this album was. Was that like, I had heard it yeah, so many times true. and had never actually put it on myself. And she like works really hard to get her music listened to. Like from the start, go like going around to every radio station, tell, like just meeting every DJ that she could to get them to play your music. And 1989 came out at a time where also like the internet was becoming a thing. And so like, oh my gosh, great lyrics I can put into an Instagram caption. The internet was a thing in 2014, but I feel like she played it. Like she knew how to memify it. She knew how to like play the game. She may be one of the first that like really played the game of making it into an experience. I mean, just her 1989 like world tour was... It was the first one, I think, that I'm not sure if she recorded and released the other ones, but that is known as like one of the greatest tours like, of all time. And then she does Reputation, which is was <laughs> before this year, because now I think both her and Beyonce have broken the record. Reputation is the best selling tour of all time, unless Ed Sheeran just stole that however many long I, years ago. I just want to pause. Yeah. So your like passion and energy for this is so infectious. You just Thank have such you. a like, this matters to you so much. And I can relate to yeah. that from other bands that I love. Mm -hmm. And it's so fascinating watching that happen to somebody like just completely geeking out about a band that I just don't care about. An artist I don't care about that Same. much. Because I, it makes me want to care about Like it makes me want to like love her That's the way you love her. It's the <laughs> also, it makes me want to talk about Radiohead like this for an hour. So we might have to do a Radiohead episode soon. Do it. I just get to talk about them. Do it. Hour. I'd love to hear more about Radiohead. I nobody. I you probably wouldn't like to hear that. I just know creep, and I'm not really. Oh my bit, god. Don't send Dave into a yeah, well, spiral. Don't. <laughs> oh my god. That is not the quintessential alien Radiohead song. Just, okay. Good. Good. This to know. podcast needs to end right now. We need to start the Radiohead podcast so we can correct that. Okay. Well, oh my God, we're 45 minutes in. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Okay. I would like to bring in something as well because it's very important to me, which mm. is the song Out of the Woods. Mm. Because I want to specifically say I hated that song. Ah, hated. interesting. Ah, hated. interesting. Stopped the echo. I hated it. It was one Taylor Swift song that I was like. And also, I used to hate and still do Welcome to New York because it is it is annoying. But I started to like it because it, if you reframe it as a love song, it's a little better. She even says in the song, you can love who you love, boys and girls. She's gay. Okay. Out of the woods. She can't just be an ally, Sydney. But would you write like a whole album all about rainbows and like release a video with like every single gay icon? Oh my god! Okay, ever. Let's put a pin in it. Let's put a pin in it. Okay, sorry. Out, out, of, out the of the woods. It's. I think what is really unfortunate about that one is I think it's overproduced by Jack Antonoff. 
I don't know if you could hear it all on or are familiar with his type of production, but the echo is, I'm thinking, his fault. Because I think it's some, it's his fault. It's some of her best lyrics. That bridge is beautiful. And I stand by the fact that the acoustic version that she did on the piano at the Grammy Museum mm. is like the only reason I like that song. Interesting. And now I love that song. Remember when you hit the brakes too soon? 20 stitches in a hospital room. When you started crying, baby, I did too. When the sun came up, I was looking at you. Because Interesting. it's really easy to get lost in the pop and not hear how important her lyrics yeah. are. I uh, Speaking of, I want you to tell me that I shouldn't consider Bad Blood a bad song. Because it's okay if you I do. have... This yeah, might I, I be the only Taylor Swift song I act I actively hate. Yeah. Do you okay. like the Kendrick verse on no, it? No. Why did Kendrick do Kendrick that? Version? I don't. It's so confusing to me. This <laughs> felt like the era of Kendrick just being like, "You want me to? Pr- sure, I'll come on your track." Like he just he was all well, over I think, the place. Let's rephrase point. that. You're gonna pay me a million dollars to come on your track? Sure, I'll come on your track. Yes. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. For real. But like Bad yeah. Blood was the only song from this album and maybe the only Taylor Swift song honestly ever that I actively do not like. Don't think the lyricism is that good. Don't think the rhyming is that good. Not me. The song me. I don't know that I know that one. Oh, you're lucky. Oh, Don't listen to say? it. It's fine. So I should go find mm-hmm. a song that I hate worse. <laughs> Don't listen to it. Oh, there yeah, you, you will. I hate me. That is, that's actually pretty, that's off of her Lover album. It was a single. Uh, it's like one of the maybe, biggest mistakes she's made. Maybe, but that, uh, again, I don't know that of all <laughs> the albums in her discography, 1989 to me is it in terms of the ones that I know the best and that I heard the most when they were out that like, hmm. so 1989 to me is still the pinnacle of like what I think of when I think of Taylor Swift. It's a perfect pop record. I, I'd put it up there with like a prayer or Rhythm Nation. Like, you know, we talked a while back about like a couple of the Robin albums that I'm obsessed with. Like, I it's it. This is as perfect of a pop album as ever as ever been made. So except for Bad Blood, uh, and that was Bad a, a terrible song. But every perfect album has bad songs. <laughs> okay, Computer has Electioneering. Electioneering is not a good song. We can. We'll discuss it on our Radiohead podcast. And I mean, like, <laughs> Clean, too, is an incredible song that's just at the bottom of the album. Yeah. And should have been the track five, in my opinion. But Nice. I'm not Taylor. Let's transition to to Folklore, which is the, the dad rock. <laughs> this is the Aaron Dresner. Again, eagle-eyed fans will remember Aaron Dresner as the producer of the one Fright and Rabbit album that's not very good. Um, but he is the, the main songwriter behind the national and is one of the most, I would say one of the most important songwriters in like the rock landscape over these last 10, 15, 20 years, because his, he's produced a bunch of people's records at this point. He has certainly people are obsessed with the national and, and that sound is permeated lots of other bands that have blown up. So it's interesting hearing kind of his collaboration with Taylor and learning a little bit about the behind the scenes was fun too. And I totally understand how that came to be. So it was fun discovering the hard drive that he handed over and, and all those things. And, and, you know, discovering how Bonavere got swept up in all of this because Bonavere is to me like 
the pinnacle of this dad rock experience. So I was actually surprised. I was curious. Did you put this on your list as a bone to throw for us? Or do you also love this album? I love this album. It's probably my favorite Taylor Swift Hey, okay. Interesting. Because to me, this is the music that she's been making and that I have wanted her to make. So like, I really found like my music taste. I would like my real, like started to be conscious about music more towards like my mid twenties, like really following artists. Like that's probably like going into college. I started like going to Lollapalooza, like paying attention to specific artists. And I have found like my stride of the music that means the most to me is music just like Phoebe Bridgers. And to me, like, yeah, you found a home and I've been there for a while. (laughs) I am obsessed. And she stranger in the Alps is, Oh, it's like also a perfect record. I can't even articulate words about how much I, I love her music. And when Folklore came out, I'm like, this is this tracks because I saw so many parallels between that type of music. And then, of course, she to go back a little bit to Red, gave Phoebe Bridgers the first full verse a woman ever had as a feature on Taylor's music. So she'll have people featured like Baron Morris, but it's, you know, it's typically vocals in the background. Phoebe is the first one to have a full verse. And that really, like, to me, just solidified. Like, I knew it. I knew it. They're the same. This is what I was going to ask you, because it's labeled from the vault. Does this mean that this was on the original Red, or is this brought on later? She, it means it was written for the original Red, but was originally cut. Or written during her, like, Red time. With Phoebe Bridgers, or, like, with Phoebe Bridgers in mind, at least? Ah, okay. Because I actually really loved that song, as you would imagine, loving Phoebe Bridgers, because it sounded like a Phoebe Bridgers song. (laughs) And it's like the perfect song to bring like this up and coming, not really like pop artist, but Phoebe Bridgers is now starting to like break into the wider music consciousness. And Taylor Swift was amazing enough to see that. And it was just so validating to be like, right, of course, Phoebe Bridgers (laughs) fans like Taylor Swift. Because if you hear her lyrics, you know that this has been the music that she's made the whole this like whole time. Is it? Well, and I I, I got to challenge this mu- music she made the whole time. I mean, the lyricism feels more grown up on this album. I think the the musicality feels. I mean, obviously, feels more mature to us because we're like, oh, she's finally making music we like. I get that, but like again, we got like a country pop album, we got a pure pop album, and then we've got I don't know, like an indie folk album like it does it i don't know if i feel like it's music that she made the whole time or if it's just like her sound keeps evolving and she keeps trying new things and i actually like it if it's that like i think that's great like i actually like artists that like push themselves try new sounds try new ways and like i respect that about her i think folklore is i can rephrase i think folklore is the music i personally have wanted Ah. to hear her make because I hear it, I see it like in her yeah, lyrics. And I, I think I, I really that. wanted something That's like true. that from her. I experienced Phoebe, I I became obsessed with Phoebe just because of her lyrics. And and I think she's an amazing songwriter as well, and m- melodically. But 
there is a mismatch of Taylor Swift writes extremely personal lyrics and and has just have killer turns of phrase. And it's not something that I usually associate with country music. And it can be something associated with pop music, but usually I don't think that's true. I really like pop music. And so I, I, I love Ariana Grande's records and I don't experience that same thing happening there. I find her lyrics much more vague and maybe not generic, yeah. but uh, not as memorable and not as poignant or piercing. And so I hear what you're saying on this music, I guess, feels like it fits the Joni Mitchell, yeah. PJ Harvey lineage that I imagine for somebody who is writing on this level. Um, and I, 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 the podcast that you had us listen to, you talked about how this is the music she personally loves that maybe she's been listening to all along. So, so that's a really interesting marriage. So I haven't listened to Evermore. Does this like music that she's now making, I mean, obviously Midnight sounds completely different than Folklore. Did she continue on doing this? Did people receive this well? Was this a, I mean, I know it was beloved by indie dad rock, but was it beloved by <laughs> Taylor Swift fans? Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that Evermore does not get the love it deserves. Like, because then I think it is very overshadowed by folklore because it was the first thing that she did. And it was just, she considers them sister albums. So they are meant to be very sonically similar. And then Midnight's, as you mentioned, is like back to pop, like very, very quickly. So it was well received. I think it's, I think by the fans, it's just as loved as any album. I think it, because of the nature of it coming like so soon after folklore, and then like very quickly after Red Taylor's version was released, that it didn't really get its its time to be felt and enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And it is, I would say, like in some ways slightly darker. But speaking of Taylor not writing about love, she writes about her grandmother on Evermore, mm. the song called Marjorie. And it's some of like, talk about turn of phrase, some of the most beautiful turns of phrase that she uses in her songs. And she, her grandmother was an opera singer. And her voice is sampled on mm, that track. That's cool. And it's really beautiful. You're alive, you're alive in my head. What died didn't stay dead. What died didn't stay dead. You're alive, so alive. And it's very different than some of the other stories that she's told about her life, which is typically about dating. So yeah, that's one that a, a lot. I would. I think you would. I think you both would like Evermore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but all pop artists talk about dating. Oh, I know. Yeah, that's why I don't listen to a lot of pop. <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. And then that is, that's why I would not recommend 1989 for you yeah. specifically. I actually, again, to, to Dave's point, like I enjoyed 1989 for what it was. Like it's just, it's not going to be something I go back to a lot, but but I think there's some great songs on there. And speaking of the lyricism yeah. of this, I just had to call out like, She's she had to have planned. I'm doing good. I'm on some new shit as the first lyric on this with the new sound like that was 100 percent intentional, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the best intro song to an album that she yeah. has. Like oh, she has some really good songs to kick off her albums like Lavender Haze. Yeah, that might be my pick. Incredible. <laughs> we'll forever remember hearing that song for the first time. And we'll forever remember hearing the one for the first time. I'm doing good, I'm on some new shit. Been saying yes instead of no. I thought I saw you at the bus stop, I didn't though. Because it's also the first time she has sworn on a track. Yeah, I remember that. So it's like, oh, you're drawing a line her, in the sand with this song. Okay, yeah, got like, it, got it. Like, for, like, 
for me, it was like, oh, we've grown up again. Exactly. Like it was so exciting to see like, like night, even like looking at 1989, how like she very slowly peels back certain layers and like being more grown up or like she doesn't talk about alcohol until reputation. She doesn't talk really about sex really more explicitly until 1989. Like she peels that back very yeah. specifically. See, that's where I feel like she paved the way for the Olivia Rodriguez of the world who just come out with their like debut album, Swearing Up a Storm and talking about all these mature themes. And it's like, you're 17, calm down. But Taylor kind of grew into that a little bit. Another lyric that I just want to call out that I found really great was, and this is just me being a geeky like word person, is the wedding was charming if a little gauche. There's only so much, so far new money goes. I was like, did she just rhyme gauche? That's a baller move. She sure did. She sure fucking did. <laughs> and that that too, her storytelling is really more akin to like her country yeah. roots of that that turn at the end. Like, and then it was bought by me. Yeah. She just interjects herself into the story. And it it is her overall storytelling as well. And her mainly her bridges, that is what she's known for, is how to tell a story over a song and bring it to the climax. Yeah, the there's bridge. a lot of great storytelling um, in this album, for sure. Yeah. So I think we're at that point, Caleb, where we need to reveal, number one, did we become Swifties? And number two, of these records, and maybe Midnight's too, if you were, if you took some time with it, which of them did you feel like was the best album for becoming a Swiftie? What was your experience with that? Ooh, I think it's a little bit of a tie for me between Folklore and 1989. And he here's my reasoning. Folklore is definitely the best album for me for becoming a Swifty. This was the album I put on where halfway through, I wasn't like, okay, I'm ready for this to be over. <laughs> like, Red, I was like, oh my God, I'm only a third through this album. I was struggling through it. 1989, I was like, okay, I'm at a party. But after a while, I'm like, okay, I gotta, I'm ready to listen to something else. Folklore, I was like, this is to your point. I love a good national album. Halfway through, I was like, oh, this is good. Play in the background, enjoying it. Some of those lyrics popped, love the storytelling. So I think for me, probably it was folklore. But I think for most people, especially pop lovers, people who like a good banger, it's probably going to be 1989. That would be my guess. Do you, you think, feel Dave? like out of this uh, experiment, do you find yourself looking forward to the next Taylor Swift record? Or is this not quite reached that level for you? I don't think I'm ready to call myself a Swifty, but I am. I'm appreciative of her as an artist. And I think I'm more so appreciative of her as an artist, seeing how much Sydney really appreciates mm -hmm. her and enjoys her and like in her enthusiasm. To Dave's point, it's just yeah. infectious. And I think that I have deepened my appreciation for her lyricism, for her storytelling, for her ability to connect mm -hmm. with her fans on this. I just don't think I am necessarily her core audience, but I will continue <laughs> sure. to and, support her from afar. <laughs> I am her target audience. I lead with that talking with, with a lot of people about Taylor Swift. Like, I'm just, I want to say, like, I'm, of course, her target sure. audience. Like, she released the music around the same age that I was, of course, you know, and I respect What that. I will say is that for a long time, and I think I may have said this on this podcast to you, Dave. For a long time, my my posture to Taylor Swift, whenever people like gushed about her, whenever billions are spent on our tours was always it was always like it wasn't that I thought that she was a bad artist or that it, the songs were good. It was just like of all the people to be obsessed with, mm -hmm. of all the music that's out in the world, 
has she reached that status? And I think that your explanation of how much she has connected with people and the fact that she's written her own songs and the fact that she's been more connected with her fans explains to me a little bit more of how she actually got to that rise and how she has been able to capitalize on that through fan service and through hard work and just some really great lyrics. I think I, I have a an easy time creating a narrative for myself of how Beyonce became one of, or if not the biggest artist or pop artist in, in the world. I, I can like, I can get my head around that narrative in a way that felt different than Taylor Swift going into this, where I guess maybe similarly felt like I, I appreciated everything she was doing. I, I thought she was a talented artist and didn't understand the level of obsession that people had. And, and now diving into all of this, I see a, how much there's to un- unpack and how much there is to wrangle yourself around. It's pretty, pretty incredible. Also, I had no idea she was this prolific. I guess I could have maybe believed if somebody said she's put out 10 albums in not very many years, but to actually see it all laid out and see, like, discover the stories behind each of them is an incredible amount of music. Like, I, my yeah. favorite band has been playing for 30 years and they've made eight albums. Like, it's, this is an incredible <laughs> amount of music. And plus, I don't necessarily know. I think if I was going to give somebody an introduction to Taylor Swift, I'd probably say you can stop. You don't have to listen to the From the Vault tracks. And not because they weren't good. Some of them I thought were even better. It's just a lot of it's a lot of time to spend with one artist in one sitting. But I came into this loving 1989 already, but not having spent much time with anything else. I listened to Folklore a couple of times when it was released. Listened to Midnight's a few times and like really liked it, but then lost the thread. I, I felt like after repeat listings, it wasn't as wonderful as I had originally experienced it i felt like she was doing stuff that other people were doing better and so i and i'm not a lyrics person so i wasn't spending much time processing the lyrics until this three-week experience i'd probably still say my album pick my best album for becoming swifty is still 1989 i love that record i'll be listening to the record forever and there's just so much good stuff on there blank space and style are to me the two best songs she's ever written and i appreciate the Phoebe. i mean obviously the phoebe ridges too good feature is great I like a lot of this, but 1989 is the one. I don't know if I'm leaving this experience. I think I got really lost in the gossip. I, I don't think I fully mm-hmm. appreciated how much gossip there was going on. And to hear some of those podcasts you had us listen to obsess over who each song was about and, and who she was dating. And you got the vibe that you have to understand that in order to fully grasp her music. It sounds like you don't agree with that sentiment. You can still fully embrace Taylor Swift without going into the gossip. But I got really exhausted, not turned off, but just exhausted by the gossip of it all. And I found myself just needing a break. Yeah. And I wonder too, like how much of that, like is her fault or because of Mm. how typically media likes to talk about celebrities. Like they don't talk about how gorgeous a phrase of like, so casually cruel in the name of being honest is they just want to know who the song is about. Yeah. And I think also if you look at if if you want to spend more time, <laughs> um, look at um interviews between Taylor Swift and Ellen DeGeneres from like 2010. Ooh. Yeah. It's rough the way that she like people force the narrative it's not her she doesn't want to she does not want to talk about who these songs are about she has said if i put you in a song like and it's bad i probably don't want to know you anymore (laughs) so 
it's other it is a lot of other people but like she could write songs about other things no but then is she being authentic also remember she is also at all the times that she wrote speak now or fearless itself perfectly encapsulates what it's like to be a teenage girl so back then she was a teenage girl as a teenage boy what would you have written about as she's going through the one of the biggest experiences yeah. that attract people you also have to remember like who she is she is she's also just yeah like she's just 33 <laughs> like she's just you know she's just young we talked about that a little bit during the high school episode of uh the blink 182 songs how many of them are about their raging hormones yep and their relationships <laughs> and wanting a girlfriend so. not having a girlfriend etc yeah yeah that's fair i think it's easy to spot it about women a lot more just because we're socialized for mm. women to have that stereotype and so then when they fall into it we want to hold it against them and i did the same i did like i'm saying this as a swifty someone who loves her i felt the same i think you're also right that like it's endemic to pop as a genre mm -hmm. but, but what are you gonna say dave I, I buy your explanation that this is misogyny that that reads correctly to me mm. i believe that and She's dating celebrities. I, I feel like oftentimes, uh, not all, but many of these pop artists aren't dating. I mean, I guess Pete Davidson and Ariana Grande come to mind, but most of them seem like they're not necessarily dating major celebrities that also have their own paparazzi following them around. And so, yeah. so it's amped up. I feel like there's, yeah. and that's a choice. I mean, that's a choice she's making. And Phoebe Bridges mm -hmm. seems to be falling into that a little bit too. And it makes sense. Like you're, who else can you have a conversation with? Like, who else can understand you? At, you know, when you're this yeah. level of famous, I mean, Jay-Z is married to Beyonce. You know, like there's, there's obviously analogs for this. And that gave just, us yeah. lemonade. There's such love. There's such a, I mean, and 444. <laughs> there's such a high level of discourse around the gossip that I think if I tune that out, I enjoy mm -hmm. this music a lot more and, and could see myself. I don't know if I'll ever pay $500 to see her concert. Was it worth it? Was it, you don't have to. I, don't tell me how much you paid. I, but was it worth, like, does that experience worth I it? I paid, let's breathe. I paid 140 Oh, okay, ah. fair enough. Okay. I paid 140 for my seat. I was a verified fan. So I was one of, like, the very, very lucky individuals that okay, bought them. Enough. The original. Do you feel like so, having been there, yeah. the, the tickets were worth the thousands people were paying for them? Like, does she live up to the experience? Yeah. That you were was that a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing? That's such a good question. Don't get canceled by Taylor Swift fans. Answer. No, I mean, I won't. Like, I mean, in terms of like what you got, I don't think you need to spend. I don't think and I don't I think music should be more accessible than that. And so I think yeah. it's not fair to any type of music goer yeah. for those tickets to be that expensive. So. I'm going to say like, like, no, it will come out in the movies. Like if you really love Taylor Swift, obviously it's very worth it. I would like, I know it's like still asking so much more of you, but if you feel at all skeptical still, watch that documentary. All right. Miss Americana. We got it, it. is okay. it is also very well when done. When was that one done? It's also directed by a woman. It probably came out in 2019. So I guess I have one last question. This podcast is focused on finding topics and then choosing the best album for those topics. And so this is a little bit of a reverse mm -hmm. situation, but what would you say? So which one is your I mean, if you had to pick one, is Folklore your one? Like, is that your favorite? 
Yeah, I think in terms of it might not have like my all time it definitely has some of my all time favorite songs. But in terms of a cohesive project that she did, everything around it, the way it was released, when it was released, the music itself, that is my favorite album is Folklore. So if you had to choose the best scenario or the best circumstance to listen to Folklore, what would you prescribe? Like It feels like an album that plays really well around a campfire on a crisp fall evening (laughs) with some bourbon in your hand. But what would you say is the best setting to listen to folklore the first time oh like a cold rainy day Mm. winter it's a winter album is definitely a winter album especially because like yeah august slipped away so you're and i would also say evermore is very much a winter album Mm -hmm. or she's like literally wearing like flannel on the cover yes Yeah. yeah with her The parade, yeah. And I would, I mean, if you like folklore, I would definitely listen to Evermore if you want. Just if you liked folklore, definitely check out Evermore because I think you'd just like it in general. Also, still produced by Aaron Dresner. And a really funny tidbit, they did long pond sessions. So they did both Aaron Dresner and Jack Antonoff and Taylor Swift recorded the whole album, Folklore, at Long Pond. And it's on Disney Plus. You can like watch Mm. it all of them the night after that they got like super drunk on white wine or whatever and at like seven in the morning taylor swift takes like aaron dresner's favorite piece of music that he never thought he'd be able to put lyrics to and that morning she has this tis the damn season which is a fantastic song off of evermore so she just was like i gotta write another album and then just started like they just recorded like a whole album live and they're all drunk and she's awake at like 8 a.m. with another song ready to record. This is Paul so McCartney level like, stuff, man. Yeah, right? Yeah. Seriously. Like that's just how, like how her brain works is insane. And that's also why very much why Evermore is just a continuation of folklore. I'm excited. I'll go listen to Evermore. You've sold me. I am on the brink of some kind of Swifty fandom. Cindy, I really appreciate you giving us this time and bringing so much of your heart to this podcast. This is so much fun. We will see you guys next week. Send us your picks for best album for becoming a Swifty. Let us know if you dug into these records and and had a good time. And we'll see you next week for uh, some more best album for. See you soon.